Good morning. Our first Bible reading this morning is taken from the book of 1 Peter, sometimes a challenging book to find. It comes just after James and just before 2 Peter, and we're reading from chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray and above all love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Uh, good morning. Our second Bible reading this morning comes from 2 Peter, chapter 3, 8 to 18, and you can find that on page 1052 of your Pew Bibles, or you can follow it on the screen above. But do not, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. The elements will melt in the heat. But keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, 
blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do, not, uh, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, let me add my welcome to Beck and Bianca's. Um, my name is James, and uh, if you're new with us, it is so good to have you here uh, here on this Sunday morning in this warm, warm room. And uh, we, as we mentioned, we're looking at a series called Eschatology. And if you're thinking there, well, Esca what? It's all right, relax. It's just Esca end times, study of ology. And we're opening up the Bible to say, what does God have to say of what's coming? The future. How's it all going to wrap up? Where is this world headed? Now, if you live long enough in this world, you, you will naturally experience a, a confusion, a tension that happens in life that everyone experiences. Well, you wonder to yourself, as you look at the world, is it getting better or worse? Are humans, are we improving or are we deteriorating as a people? Yeah, that tension? We're... I mean, you think about life BC, right, before COVID. Things are pretty good, and then all of a sudden, this disease popped up and changed your life. You think, oh, okay, it's getting better, immunizations, you know, so, but then monkeypox pops up, you know. So you think it's going good, and then it goes bad. You look at environmentally, like there's some good initiatives out there. You think, oh, okay, things are going well, but then you hear the stats and the fires and the floods, and you get despairing. War breaks out overseas. War breaks out in your own home. People don't speak to each other. You're trying to find yourself to have to regain faith in humanity one too many times, don't we? There's sort of this confusion, this tension. And we cannot help but think, is this the end? Is the end coming? Now, what's interesting is people's responses to that. How do we respond to the fact that I mean, most people talk to, whether the atheists or the Muslim, there's a sense that the world will end, either naturally or supernaturally, right? But how we respond, how we live and lie with that is very different. On one hand, you might have secularism, right? The average secular Sydney-sider says, well, there's nothing coming. There's no God. All there is is material world, right? All we have is this stuff. So live for the now, enjoy it, look after it, protect it. And we humans can do a lot because all we have is now. I mean, I was listening to ABC radio. Uh, uh, I switched over to AM. I'm getting old. And uh, there was an expert in uh, all things planets and, uh, and space. And he was saying, talking about the sun, our sun. And he says it has about seven to eight billion years left of energy in it left. Then it'll go out. Now, then the phones start ringing. And people could ask this expert questions. And it was amazing. One after the other was panicked. Oh, it's going to run out. What should we be doing? 
what should the government be doing to taking steps to prevent this, right? And then one person called up and said, again, the PM is neglecting the issues of the day. You know, people are just angry and worried. And the expert was like, no, no, I said seven to eight billion years. But it taps into, maybe extreme example, it taps into this all there is. You've got to protect it. You've got to live for the now. But then there's another response, the religious response. We look around and think, this world is corrupt, it's broken, it's going to hell, it's immoral. And so you resist, you take a step back, and you focus on the future, paradise, nirvana, the pearly gates. And if you were to do anything in this life, it's only so that it will better your chance of getting in to life to come. Two different responses. One looks for the now, the other looks for the future. But Christianity is one that is categorically quite different to any other worldview. The gospel gets you to say there is meaning and purpose now, but there is a profound hope, a real hope for what's to come. I mean, you see that. We read it in one of the chapters, of verses in 2 Peter. It's on the screen. You see this. Ready? It says this, verse 11. You ought to live holy and godly lives, right? That's the now, as you look forward to the day of, the, of God and speed its coming. There is a present purpose in what you do, that's good and right, and yet there is a hope, a looking forward to what is to come. Now, the reason this is the case is because two things, and I've got props to help us understand, right? The reason why Christians have this now purpose and this future hope is because what happened 2,000 years ago? Jesus came into the world to deal with the world's biggest problem, sin our sin, our rebellion. And he dealt with it by dying on a cross and there took our sin on himself, leaving us free. He rose again, gave us the Holy Spirit, and so we're a new people. But then his second coming, one day he will return. And he says he will return to take us home, to be in a world free from pain, suffering, and death. That is coming for all those who put their trust in him. That is our future. And so we have a hope that is not dependent on us, but on what Jesus will do. And being a Christian, right, is living in between these two realities. The first time Jesus comes and the second time he will come. The what is and the what is to come. The now and the not yet, right? It's what the Bible calls living in the last days in between these two realities. Now, the question is how, and what we're going to explore today is, how do you live in these last days? And you know what the word is? Tension, right? To live well in these last days is to live in tension. Now, tension is not new, right? I mean, if you get a job, you sign the contract, but you don't start in a couple of weeks, you're living in this tension. You've got the job, but you haven't started. You sign a contract to a house or a unit that you've bought. You know, you, you settle, but you don't have the keys to the place for a couple of months. You live in tension. I mean, if you're engaged, I mean, Tank Holdem, our media director, she got engaged the other day to Mickey, and they're living in tension, right? Not the relationship, but the fact that they're not dating, but they're not married yet. There's this tension. And spiritually, right, you live in this tension, whether you realize it or not, right? I mean, you come to church, right? and part of a Christian community, and there is something beautiful about that. And many of you experience the goodness of being amongst the redeemed people. There's nothing like it. 
And yet then you come across someone in church who's done something or said something to you and it profoundly hurts you. And you think, what's going on here? This, they're redeemed, but they're not all that redeemed. Or when you're praising God, right, you're in a mode of singing and you're just loving and you've got this high elation of God. You're like, whoa. And you're just overwhelmed with God's goodness. And then a thought pops into your head. Oh, that's right. My husband didn't take out the rubbish like I told him this morning. Gee, that re- and it's, where did that come from? You know, then you go back to singing. You think, moments of greatness followed by not so greatness. And there's this tension, right? It's living in the last days. So what I want to do is explore this tension, right? Because the problem is not that we live in this tension. The problem as a Christian is that we lean one way or the other. And when we lean, when churches lean one way or the other, all sorts of problems happen. So what I'm going to do is, you thought eschatology was a big word. I'm going to introduce you two more, right? The problem is when we have an over-realized eschatology or an under-realized eschatology, right? Look at these big words. At no extra charge, you're getting them, right? Under or over. Now, hear, hear me out, right? These are big words. I'm going to explain what they mean in a moment, but let me tell you the reason why, right? Because some of you are thinking, that's a big word for me, glazing over, right? So here we go. I'll tell you why I'm explaining and giving you these words. Because they will help you understand your own Christian life. They will help you ex- understand other Christians you've come in contact with, other churches you've been a part of, this church, right? And so I'm bringing these to you to help you to live well in these last days. And to not lean. Because when leaning happens, all sorts of problems happen. So, over-realized eschatology, right? So what's happening here is you're taking what is going to come, the future, and bringing it into the present. An over-realization is that heaven is coming, we're going to get resurrected bodies, it's going to be a perfect new heaven, new earth, but bringing that into the now and thinking it's happening right now. There's a problem. It's over-emphasizing the resurrection to the full. But an under-realized eschatology is looking at the past and forgetting, ignoring what we do have in Jesus, that we're united to him, that we do have the Spirit, right? It's forgetting, it's neglecting. And so what we don't want to do is to lean one way or the other. We live in this day. Let me give you another example. Audrey is my daughter. She's eight years old. If I said to Audrey, Audrey, I want you to go drive the car. And I want you to go play, apply for a passport by yourself and then vote. Now, I'm setting her up to fail, aren't I? Because she's eight. She's not 18. One day she will do that, but it is not this day. But then if I treated her like she was one and said, hey, Audrey, I'm going to put you in nappies and spoon feed you and carry you around everywhere, right? I would be forgetting that she's eight. She's not one. Right? And so that is a whole, but you don't have to be a parent to realize if I do either of them, there's going to be a whole bunch of problems. And as a Christian, if we forget what day we live in and we overemphasize or we under, we will have all sorts of problems. So, what I'm going to do is look at two areas in our life sin and sanctification and healing and suffering and seeing how do we live well in these last days, right? So, let's talk about sin and sanctification. 
You know, it's interesting. How does the Bible describe, in two words, a Christian, what a Christian is? I give them to you. We are perfect sinners. We are perfect sinners. Now, there's a tension, isn't it? Let me show you. It's all throughout the Bible. Let me give you two examples. On the screen, it's got Colossians chapter 1. It says this. Now he has reconciled you through Christ's physical body, through death, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. What they're saying there, when Jesus died on that cross, he took your sin unto himself, leaving you free. That before you were a Christian, God was angry with you and he loved you. But when you put your trust in Jesus, that anger left because the sin left. That we are perfect in his sight, holy and blameless. But then, a couple of chapters later, in the same book in Colossians, says this. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature, sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is adultery. So hang on, we're saved, we're perfect, sin removed, and yet we experience sin. Sin comes from us. Though Christ was put to death, we ourselves are supposed to put to death sin. There's this tension, isn't there? What Christ has done, we are perfect. And yet we are works in progress. Let me give you another one. In 1 Corinthians, let's jump to that book. 1 Corinthians 6 says this, verse 11, And that is what some of you were. You were washed, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Sanctified, that idea that we are holy, that we are transformed through Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. And yet, 2 Corinthians, it says this, But we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes to the Lord, who is the Spirit. So on one hand, we are sanctified, and yet we are being sanctified. We are transformed, and yet we need to be transformed day by day. What it is, friends, is this. There's an identity that we have in Christ, and that we're slowly being transformed, and one day it will become a reality. But we're not there yet. Two truths that we hold together. And the problem is when we lean. So let me show you what happens. What are the problems when we lean one way or the other? Where we emphasize the perfect over the sinner or the sinner over the perfect, right? If we lean to an over-realized eschatology, right? That we're holy and perfect because of Jesus, but we think, I can experience that perfection here on earth. I can experience what one day I will know to be true happening right now. Where sin in my life can't just be controlled, it can be eradicated. There's a guy at my old church uh, who, let's call him Mark. He was there briefly, and he believed, because the church told him that he was previously a part of, that he could attain perfect obedience in this life. And he believed that he did and was doing it. Now, it's very interesting. His response to others in the church was, very judgmental. He's saying, well, I can't believe that you Christians, you call yourself Christians, aren't pursuing perfect obedience. It can be done. It can be done. Now, it's interesting. He had a whole bunch of problems with the church. One of them was that people were opening their eyes while they were praying. The question is, how did he knew that? But anyway. <laughs> but the problem with him was not just sort of a warped view of pride and righteousness, right? But the problem was that he had taken a future truth and brought it to the present. One day we will be sin-free. 
One day we will be perfect, but it is not now. His biggest problem is that the body that we are in is still broken. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul uses the example of a seed. You know a seed? How does a seed turn into a tree? It needs to go into the ground and then go into the ground, into the dirt, and then it grows. And you and I are the same. In order to have a new nature, new bodies, we need to be resurrected, so to speak, go into the ground and be resurrected. That's the only way it is going to happen. You cannot massage a seed, blow on a seed, rub a seed to turn into a tree. And just like no matter what you do with your body, even if you're very self-disciplined, even if you eat kale, and do your, you will never be able to obtain, change the nature of your body until the resurrection happens. Now, this may not be the issue. Not many people have come across a struggling, uh, a saying, I have obtained perfect obedience, right? But there is a danger when we speak about being a Christian and the sin that we wrestle with in past tense. Like the testimony, you know, I once was into all sorts of debauchery, bad things and all that kind of stuff, and then I became a Christian and now it's fine. Or the sense that we stopped asking for forgiveness from God, repenting of sin, because you think, well, God's forgiven it. Or that we stop, we ignore James 5 and confessing sin to one another, and we have this perception that we've told ourselves or others that basically we're sin-free. And it is a danger, particularly in the North Shore, where we want our lives looking really good, that we want also our Christian lives looking good. And sin is past sense. You and I, until the day we die, will wrestle with sin, and we need to be real and honest about that and not pretend. Then a community where you are entering now is a bunch of perfect sinners that we will let each other down, but we are works in progress, and we will be until Jesus returns. So that's leaning one way. But you can also lean the other way when it comes to sin and sanctification. Because you think, ah, well, if my life's going to be a renovation, I mean, I can do that for a couple of months, but who likes a lifelong renovation, right? You know, you just sort of give up. You know, you sort of try to deal with sin. It wasn't that, it was hard. And there's despair nature that you can feel and underrealize eschatology and just give up. But what you are forgetting, if that's you, what Jesus has done. Who is in you? The Holy Spirit. I mean, have a look, Romans 8, verse 10. It says this, If Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. That you may feel dead in sin, but you are very much alive. And that is not because of you, because the Holy Spirit is in you. You may feel like sin is killing you, but friend, you are not a slave to it anymore. You may feel like you're on your own, but the Holy Spirit is in you and with you. It is like a soldier, a young soldier, going out to battle and seeing the enemy and thinking, I can't do it. I can't do it, because they're forgetting who's behind. That he's not doing it alone, but he's doing it with his army. And friend, you have the Holy Spirit with you. You, when you battle temptation, are not doing it on your own. You are united to Christ. The Spirit is at work in you and gives you the power to say no. We are being transformed. We are works in progress and there is progress. That the Holy Spirit is bearing fruit. Now, the reality is, if you've ever tried to grow in fruit, it is slow work. It's not instant, quick, now. 
And sometimes what you need to do is look back over the years. And God gives you these moments, moments where something bad happens. And you actually reacted in a more godly way than you would have five, ten years ago. I mean, I was talking to a couple here last week, and they went on holidays. Their flight was delayed by six hours. They got young kids. And when they turned up, their luggage was still back in Sydney. And I was saying, wow, I mean, you must have really lost it. I mean, I would have done that, you know, got angry with, you know, your wife. And they said, no, 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 we're, by God's grace, we were, we were patient and, and we actually loved each other well. And, and now five years ago, they said that probably wouldn't have been the case. But the Holy Spirit had me working in their life to show them, no, 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 the fruit of the Spirit is at work. You are more patient than you used to be. That we don't compare ourselves to others. You compare yourself to who you used to be and the Spirit is at work, friends. The question is, are you helping or hindering his work in your life? Because he is doing a mighty work. Because here's the end. Perfection is eternal. Sin is not. And one day we will be perfect through and through. And we want to live every day in light of who we will be. That we are perfect sinners now, but one day the sin apart will go and all we will be is perfect through and through where our experience, our reality, catches up with our identity. So that's sin and sanctification. Let's look at one more. Healing and suffering. I was part of the healing service at the cathedral for a number of years, uh, and it's a, it's a great ministry on Wednesday nights where people all throughout the city uh, all throughout come and they can pray for healing. But what was interesting is just sitting with people and when that diagnosis comes, that shock diagnosis comes, it's very interesting their response it, their response exposes, particularly Christians, of where they lean. Some lean to over-realize eschatology, where they think, I'm, I'm a Christian, and if I have enough faith, I will be completely healed 100% of the time. That it is always God's will to heal and restore a Christian. Holding on to the Lord's Prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isaiah 53, by his stripes, you will be healed. But the problem, which always happens, is what happens when there's no healing? Whose fault is that? God's? Yourself? Others? They didn't have enough faith? But the problem is often we've brought the future into the present. Heaven is coming where every follower will be perfectly healed. But that's not yet. It is God's will for it to heal and restore, to remove death and destruction and suffering, but the timing is off. Now, this is not new. I mean, you know, it's interesting. When Jesus was on earth healing the blind, the lame, raising the dead, have a look in Matthew 11. There's an interesting verse, which is on the screen, and it's that last one, and it says, Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And you think, Offended? I mean, Jesus just healed. He's raised the dead. He's there a bunch of hulk. Why would people be offended at Jesus? I'll tell you why. In Jesus' ministry, he only raised three people from the dead and left thousands in the grave. Now, it's not because they didn't have enough faith, surely. But there was confusion when the Messiah would come that he would bring heaven on earth that he would bring, his kingdom would come now. But friends, Jesus' first coming was always a taste, an entree for what is coming for his second time. 
when he healed, when he raised the dead, even when he turned water into wine, it was the best wine ever, right? It was a taste of how blissfully good it is going to be when he returns again. Healing is not guaranteed in this age for the Christian. Otherwise, I mean, why is Romans 8 there? Where it says, we groan, we eagerly await for the return of Christ. But when Jesus does return, then by his stripes we will be healed. Then we'll experience his kingdom in all its fullness. And cancer free, disease done, age over, world will begin. So there's an over realized. But then there's the under, right? The under realized. This is where the danger is thinking it's all future. That's all going to happen. And you neglect truths about God for this present day. Truths like 3 John, where it says, To my dear friend Gaius, I pray that you may enjoy good health. Ignoring the fact that the Holy Spirit has given members of this church the gift of healing, to use it to pray for others that they would be healed. Ignoring passages like James 5, where the elders are to pray for healing. But the end of the day, the danger of it, right, is in the end denying God's power. Though we can believe God can do anything, but act as if he probably won't. And that's a problem. Because what happens is we don't pray. Or we don't pray boldly that they will be healed. Or we do, if we do pray, we pray, oh, if it's your will, Lord, but we've sort of determined God's will is, and the answer is no, right? And that is a problem. We should never underestimate God's power. God can do the impossible and does in this age. The Spirit is working through some of you who have the gift of healing to pray for others that they would be healed, to bring a taste of what is coming. There's a lady in my old church called Julie Lamplow. She's a science teacher, mother of three, and she was diagnosed with aggressive form of cancer. And I remember, I mean, I was young at the time, but I remember her being interviewed. And there were two questions that stood out to me. The first was this, Julie, do you believe that God can do the impossible and heal you of all cancer? And she said, yes, absolutely. And the second question, do you also believe that if it's not for God's will in this age to heal you, you'll be completely healed in the next. And she said, yes, absolutely. There was a woman who was living well in these last days. Friends, Jesus is returning soon. We don't know when, but he is returning soon. And in the meantime, we are to live in this tension and not lean not bring what is coming to the now and not neglecting what we do have. We are not to get too comfortable in this world because we're not in heaven yet, even though our moral is lovely, right? We should expect suffering and persecution and hardship because we are just passing through. We are renting. This is the age of sacrifice, the time where people need to know about Jesus. But we do have a real purpose right now. What you do matters. I mean, that 1 Peter verse, what it says, the end of all things is near, therefore what? Run, hide, give up? No. Pray. Have people to your house. Offer hospitality. Serve. Use the gifts of God at very present now because what you are doing is living 
for Jesus, the one who has saved you. Let me end by talking about the time when I did acting. I was involved in the theatre. It was in high school. We were doing Midsummer's Night Dream, and I played King Oberon, King of the Fairies. Great for my masculinity. But I took on this role, and we would rehearse afternoon after afternoon after afternoon, line after line after line. And I kept thinking, why am I doing this, right? You sort of have this sense of, what's the purpose of this? You cannot help but ask those questions. And then there's moments, right, where you get so caught up in acting out these scenes, performing these scenes, you forget, oh, this is rehearsal, right? There's no audience. But you work in day in, day out, because you know what's coming. Opening night, where the crowd gathers and the audience watches. And what we are doing now, friends, it may feel at times meaningless, but what am I doing, what am I doing? But we are doing it because what is coming? Jesus is returning. Heaven will begin. And until then, until that day, we live in this tension. We live well in this tension that you are sanctified, you are perfect, and one day your body, your nature, your mind will be perfect. That we are redeemed. We have a hope, and yet one day our bodies will fully be redeemed. Nothing bad. That this world, it is good, but it is not forever. It is passing away. And so we are passing through it, and one day we'll experience a new heaven, a new earth, like this one, but oh so better. And one day, that last day, will be truly the last day and the beginnings of a whole bunch of new ones. Let me pray. Gracious Lord, it is hard to live in these last days. Our tendency is to lean, whether just to give up on hope and just live for the now or live, give up on the now and live for the hope, Lord. But we, you've asked us to live in this moment holy and godly lives. There is good work for us to do, to love others and to honour you. But we do so always with the yearning, with the groaning that this is not all there is that you are coming back and we will see you and you bring us into a new world that is like this world, but oh, so much sweeter. So we ask, Lord, that we would live well with this tension, that we would not forget what you've done and who we are, but we would not bring in the future into the now, Lord. We pray, Lord, as we reflect on churches we've experienced, Christians we've come across, even our own tendencies, Lord. We ask, Lord, that we would live well in this tension, knowing that these days are last days. It will not be forever. And so we yearn and we pray that beautiful prayer at the end of your word. Come, Lord Jesus.